Holy shit almighty, it's another Kill Your Gods podcast. I am your host, Jesse. That's a really unappealing way to start a new segment. My name is Jesse Dram, comedian, podcaster, mediocre. Uh, this is the Kill Your Gods podcast. It was formerly the Infinite Jest Pod... I Hate Infinite Jest podcast, where we did a book club, and now it's the Kill Your Gods podcast, where we don't always talk about books, but sometimes we talk about books. And now we're talking about books again. The first in a four-piece of, uh, The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pinchon. So, uh, go out and grab it. Go to your local library. They probably have it. It's 150 pages. Um, I'm glad you guys liked the QAnon episode last week. I felt it was a very important time to do that. I just hurt my finger. Ow. Uh, yeah. Thanks again to Mike Rains for coming out for that. It was a big episode for us. Weird thing today. I am recording this on Sunday, January 24th. Uh, the most downloads we've ever had in a day. This is a little inside baseball. Most downloads we've ever had in a day has been 213. And then in the middle of the fucking night last night, like 1 a.m. Sunday, January 24th, I just got like 500 downloads out of fucking nowhere. So if you're one of the people, if you're the Russian bot <laughs> uh, that gave me that spike last night, uh, thanks, Dasvidanya, comrade. I don't know what Dasvidanya means. But uh, exciting. Why not? I want to get some bigger people on this podcast. For those of you not in the know, there is a big uh, podcasting scene in Philadelphia with some of my comedy brothers who are just a few years ahead of me in the scene. They were they were in a different class and that I didn't really get to know them super well. You can go check all that shit out. Matt and Shane, you fucked it. Two Jack Bros, Contact, Oral Presentation. All these guys making great content, and I need to find a way to get them on this podcast because uh, couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt. So, we will be discussing Thomas Pinchon's The Crying of Lot 49. I have never read anything by Thomas Pinchon, but a lot of people told me that it was the natural follow-up to Infinite Jest. Um, some people try to get me to do Gravity's Rainbow, and I just, I, I can't take that on right now. I really just fucking can't. Um, I think what's going to be a format of this podcast is we're just going to do different shit month to month. Like, we're going to do a month of Thomas Pinchon right now with the Crying A Lot 49. Then we'll get back and we'll do some random episodes. You know, we did Napoleon Dynamite, we did Pop Punk, we did a weird Dead Gods episode after MF Doom and... uh. Alexi Laiho of Children of Bodom both died, so, you know, we wanted to mourn our guys. Um, shit, I have something to promote. What? I'm going to pause this for three seconds while I look up the venue. Here we go. Thursday, February 18th, Cricket Comedy. Come see me do stand-up. Uh, the show's called Jokes on Us. That's going to be Thursday, February 18th at Rax Pub and Grill in Williamstown, New Jersey. That is uh, 2021 North Black Horse Pike. I know that doesn't mean much if you don't know the area, but the Black Horse Pike goes on for fucking ever. Uh, so yeah, Rax Pub and Grill. I will be doing stand-up. My first, all, all my shows got canceled back in November slash December, and uh, Eddie Gallagher and the good folks at Cricket Comedy are bringing me back. So again, that's one more time. If you are in the Philadelphia, New Jersey, Delaware area, and you would like to come see me do stand-up, Go to cricketcomedy.com, buy your tickets in advance at the Racks Pub and Grill, Thursday, February 18th, show, uh, doors open at 7, show is at 7.30, 
you can go there. You, you take an excuse to bring your girlfriend out, or your or your fella, or whatever you're into. Just bring bring somebody. Buy tickets. I need to show that I'm a draw. Um, yeah. Other news. I got a fucking job. <laughs> Finally, this whole enterprise started as a COVID project, something to do. Then I got laid off uh, about a month and a half later, and I was just unemployed for this entire time and now i am not i am employed i can't tell you where because i don't trust you motherfuckers and god knows i've i've said something horrible at some point so we'll just leave it at that but uh yeah uh i had to give up my uh writer's column at steelringpost.com please keep supporting them unfortunately writing about wrestling just did not work with my schedule anymore with this new job but very excited to the future again right and god my fucking guest this week god my uh gosh seamus millar seamus millar is a very good friend of mine philadelphia comedian you can find him just look seamus millar on twitter i i know his name is like at a cool million or so i had to annoy him to get it out of him Seamus is a good friend of mine, much like myself, uh, just around the time of COVID, he moved in with his girlfriend, solo, just them two, and not knowing what to do with himself and being similarly unemployed and laid off, uh, he just started reading a lot. So when I told him, I know there's a few things he wants me to do, uh, future episodes, but Seamus is hilarious. This was his first time reading Pinchon. We both actually kind of enjoy it. It's no for people who say like, oh yeah, it's basically the same as David Foster Wallace. Like, no, this is so much more readable. This is you know wander. This this wanders off the line every now and again. But Infinite Jest was just like, uh, it was a stack of shit in a modern art museum. Just like, yeah, you figure it out. But this I I'm I'm enjoying. So figured out next week we have the person who runs uh. Pinchon, r slash Pinchon on Reddit. Maddie Markwood on Twitter, so check him out. I actually still need guests for episodes three and four. We'll figure it out. It's been a busy week, but look up Seamus Millar. Look up Maddie Markwood. Get your copy of The Crying A Lot 49. We're only doing 30 pages at a time. Improve yourself, motherfucker. Get some literature in your head. Uh, there's a lot. There's a few songs in this book. One of them, I just Miles' song, I ad-libbed in the middle of this podcast, but I decided to do a, not a professional, just, you know, a, a more intensive song version of the song Serenade by the Paranoids. As we get through this book, you'll find out there's a group called the Paranoids that are supposed to be a stand-in of, like, Beatlemania, and there's quite a few song lyrics in here with no musical notation whatsoever, so I took it upon myself to write stuff around it so the intro i will do the baby igor song i'll do that next week that one feels more like piano i'm not as good at piano but i am good at guitar and i'm so so at vocal harmonies so here we go a cover of the paranoids serenade and then enjoy the episode with seamus millar see ya <laughs> as i lie and watch the moon on the the lonely sea, on the lonely sea, the lonely tide, like a comforter over me, and the still and faceless moon, it fills the beach tonight, with only a ghost of day, all shadows. 
shadow grey and moonbeam white And you lie alone tonight As alone as I, 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 I Lonely girl in your lonely flat Well, that's where it's at So hush your, hush your lonely cry How can I come to you put out the moons and back the night has gone so grey I'd lose the way And it's dark inside No, I must lie alone Till it comes for me Till it takes the sky, the sand, the moon And the lonely sea And the lonely sea And we are recording Kill Your Gods podcast, uh, Crying of Lot 49. We're getting back to the books, part one, with my good friend Seamus Millar. Seamus, how are you, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Definitely. Quick before we start anything, what are you working on? Where can we find you on the internet? Absolutely if fucking you, if nothing. You, if you want to give your physical, if you want to give your physical address, that's that's up to you. I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. No, I um, I you know, used to used to be a local Philly comic back when comedy existed. Uh, I have more time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I I I've kind of completely stopped working on things. Um, you could follow me though. I guess on Instagram, it's Shambles Murph. Um, and my Twitter is too complicated to fucking go through, but, uh, no, no, no. your Twitter is very entertaining. Unlike <laughs> so I see if you do that, it's, uh, it's, uh, at underscore, uh, wait, no, at a underscore cool underscore million. I made the stupidest name. It's, it's me just asking celebrities for money. So if you're, uh, if you're into that sort of thing, internet begging, please come. Uh, Haven't you gotten some responses though? I could have sworn you got some big retweets. I got retweeted by R.L. Stein once. That was like five years ago, and I haven't let go of it. <laughs> That's a literary accomplishment. <laughs> you go, yeah, I, you know, uh, when R.L. Stein is on his deathbed and his whole life flashes before his eyes, I'll be in there somewhere. So. Yep. He's going he's gonna to like, oh, that kid asked me for a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. But then I like a couple years ago, like I think it was like uh, our fifth year anniversary. I like tweeted them and I was like, "Hey, it's our anniversary, man." <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really been working on anything lately because I just, uh, I just, I just got over the COVID. So yeah, dude. So um, how did you get COVID? Um, I am so I was so shocked because I have been super duper careful with this. Uh, we have been locked down. Uh, been working, I, I pretty much lost all my job, so I have nowhere to go. So I'm just mm. sitting at home. I'm not going out. Um, but we did have to get our microwave installed and this guy came in and I had to help oh, no. him install it and he was coughing and he barely spoke English, but he kept assuring me that he was not sick. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he had, I'm pretty sure he had COVID <laughs> because I got it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yesterday was like the first day I went outside this year. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'm not trying to downplay it or anything, but I have been way sicker with like flus and stuff I've had in my life because the, the scary thing was I was convinced it was just a cold for the first like four or five days. I was like, man, I, cause I left the window open when I slept the one night and I thought it was that cause my throat was messed up. Oh yeah. Cause that, that'll and, fuck you up. Just like getting a nice draft in. 
yeah so i thought it was that and then on the third day i lost my taste and smell and i was like "Uh oh (laughs) that's probably that's not good and uh so we just quarantined and then I, i went and got tested the other day just to make sure it was out of my system and the guy was like Hey, so because the thing is, my girlfriend went and got a test Mm -hmm. and she got a negative test and I went in and got tested and I was like, hey, my girlfriend got a negative test and she's been with me this whole time. And he was like, oh, you can't go off the tests because apparently one in five tests that are negative are actually positive. So the tests don't mean jack fucking shit. That's good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Just in case you want any um, horror as far as like the (laughs) testing process. Um but he was like, yeah, based on what you're telling me, I'm almost positive you had it. So that's fine. There you go. But you get, you got through it okay? Like, how long did it keep you down? Uh, I mean, it wasn't – I, you know, the thing is, like like I said, I've been way sicker with, like, uh, like flus okay. and other stuff. Like, I was totally mobile the whole time. I just felt like shit every day. But uh, it was probably, like, a, you know, a week and a half of feeling like crap. My taste my, – I lost my taste for a week, so I was just eating – I found out that I can sustain myself on just pickles. It was just, I was just eating pickles because I was doing shots of pickle juice because that's all I could feel. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> but, forget, uh, I forget yeah. who it was. I knew, I know somebody on the internet who had uh, COVID. They said that like they lost, like they actually would like every day they would get like some toothpaste on their fingers and like stick it straight up their nose and they could get uh, like the faintest hint of like a minty smell. Yeah, I could see that. So it was funny because it was like, um, I forget what it was the night. It was the Tuesday night. Cause it was the night before the Capitol riots, uh, mm. <laughs> which by the way, watching that while having COVID super fucking weird. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been, unfortunately part of a lot of this COVID shit. There's just been days where like life feels all too regular. But yeah. That, that Wednesday was definitely one like, Oh no, this is, strange fucking times where i feel like you try to get through strange times by being like it's not that different and then a fucking dude with horns is standing on like (laughs) yeah so he's taking a shit on nancy pelosi's desk (laughs) (laughs) i did yeah so when i was a little boy thinking like ooh, 2020 that sounds so futuristic i wasn't picturing an uncle taking a shit on the speaker of the house (laughs) yeah exactly but here we are yeah (laughs) yeah so but uh yeah i mean you know my taste came back for the most part uh it was funny it was like the night i the night i lost it i went around i was just trying to smell everything in the house and i was like (laughs) damn i can't it's because i was like i couldn't i couldn't believe it i was like oh my god i have fucking covid this is crazy and then um yeah so i mean it came back it was funny that when it came the thing is it comes it comes back suddenly too like it left suddenly like that morning i could taste and smell and then at night i couldn't and then the day that it came back i couldn't taste or smell all day and then my girlfriend was cooking something later in the night and i i walked by and i was like oh that smells good and i was like oh that fucking smells good like it was like (laughs) did she she ever catch it or um well that's that's the thing i'm sorry my cat's coming in um that's uh she she I think she might be asymptomatic because I, I think I heard like, oh, now she wants to fucking leave as soon as she comes in. But uh, no, she, I think she might be asymptomatic because I, I heard it was like two and two and five, one in five people or something like that yeah. is asymptomatic. But she, she never caught it. She was fine the whole time. And then she got a negative test. So um, I'm hoping she actually caught it because I'm hoping she is asymptomatic. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, get it done with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Seamus, but, yeah. I, I had you on here because out of all my friends, you are uh, really the only 
literary guy and not only that but that's like a new thing about you <laughs> yeah that's a see when all when COVID destroyed all my hopes and dreams i uh i i you know we i think we all did the thing where we were like okay let's fucking go through all of our backlog of tv shows and movies and fucking video games and all this shit and at a certain point i was just like god damn none of this is doing it for me anymore like this is just not like i you know I don't know. Like I had a bunch of roommates at the time too. When this started, I was living with five mm. people and like, we did the thing of like, you know, my roommate was really into Marvel stuff. So we watched like some of the Marvel movies and I was like, this is fine, but I don't feel, I don't want this to sound douchey, but I was like, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of these movies. Like I'm, this I'm enjoying is, this it. This is but... the show to sound douchey. I okay. Yeah. Fuck Stimulate me. <laughs> so I, I, um, I went back and I realized there was a bunch of books that I hadn't read because I, I'm not, I, I haven't historically been very literate uh, in, in high school. I pretty much, I read like one, I read like Fahrenheit 451, but everything else I pretty much skipped th uh, through. So there were all these classics that I hadn't read. I had a copy of um, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, which I, which I, I had seen the movie and all that sort of stuff, but I, I wasn't sure if I'd actually read it and I read it through and I loved it. And then I just kept going and I read, I read 20 books last year um, with, with crying about 49 being my 20th. Um, that's right. I'm, and, get, I'm getting to this podcast a little, a little late for you. Cause I had some other stuff. Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it also physically took a month and a half for my fucking copy to come in the mail <laughs> and, and hilariously. So what happened was the one got lost in the mail. I contacted the guy. He said, hey, send me another one. And now I have two copies of crying of lot 49. So I, oh yeah. There's actually there's a homeless guy at the pet shop near where I live who's always reading. So I might go give it to him and like really obliterate his faith in humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that, what's your favorite book of 2020 then? Um, the Well, it's hard to say favorite because honestly, like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, like I, I fucking loved. Uh, but but as far as like um, I, I really enjoyed Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. That's the one I've been recommending to everybody. OK. Um, uh, that book is amazing and it's a really quick read because it's kind of written like a script almost um okay. but it's about it's about when lincoln's son it all takes place in one night it's it's lincoln's son uh passes away um and it's about lincoln like visiting the cemetery and uh the dialogue is all these like um the bardo is like a buddhist term for like in between lives essentially so it's all these spirits that are uh kind of stuck in purgatory uh and it, the descriptions of like the fucking the like hell they've put themselves in is very very interesting okay yeah i'll have to check that out um so far so far the only book i've read in 2021 and finished was uh similar because it was all plays it was the the collected dramatic works of brendan Behan, who was like a big irish author in okay. uh, the 50s and 60s drank himself to death by his 50s uh uh, quite a few characters named Seamus, so I kept thinking of you. As I Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was a quick read. I really need just like a page turner right now. Because like yeah. between Infinite Jest and like the other things I'm trying to read. Like I'm trying to read uh, Be Here Now by like Ram Dass, which is a whole. Yeah. Story. Wow. Okay. I just read the Harvard Psychedelics Club, which is all about like Timothy Leary and Ram Dass and all that shit. Very okay. interesting. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to. I'll be honest with you. Uh, you, the listener, may not be aware of this. You're aware of the death of Alexi Laiho of Children of Bodom because I did a whole episode of it last week with Rusty Wright, uh, him and MF Doom. But also after the death of uh, Brody Lee, 
the AEW wrestler at age four, both those deaths at age 41. I've been having a very big fear of death kick, which mm. uh, I say very big. I mean, I mean, it's usual level of background terror has spiked into the forefront of my life a little bit, just because like these people who are like seven years older than me and just like dropping dead. So, oh, wow. I was going to recommend a book to you, but I won't now. I, was just, I just read the um, the American Plague. Uh, it's about uh, yellow fever. Okay. Uh, highly highly recommend it it is, a, it is a page turner but if you're freaking out about death it might not be the thing for you there was a i need like, I, I i need some <clears throat> spiritual bullshit nonsense in my life i got gotcha, you I, gotcha. I need to i need to lie to myself Seamus. <laughs> well romdas is probably a good a good place to go for that then <laughs> i actually I actually just got word the uh, just got word as if fucking it just came over on the wire uh an actress who was in freaks and geeks and the movie election just like dropped dead at like 38 of god knows what so whoa not linda cardellini right not linda card if it was linda cardellini i'd say linda cardellini (laughs) the the, the hermaphrodite from two episodes of freaks and geeks that that one oh okay okay yeah that's a bummer so anyway um so i read infinite jest and i wanted to do more books i put it up to you the reader the listener both of those things the readers and the listeners uh what book i should do next whether i should do slaughterhouse five or crying of lot 49 crying a lot 49 one right away um i think part of the reason is i've done so many songs for this podcast and there's a lot of songs in this book yeah there are which uh, i will be adding music to as i go along but um yeah i have no background on pinchon none i just know a lot of people after david falls Wallace saying you gotta read thomas pinchon so uh i did he was my this is my first introduction to him i don't find him any i don't find his style anywhere near as bad as david foster wallace like i could see there's there's some like pretzel logic sentence structures but it's nowhere near like you know oedipa was sitting it was sitting in a corner hating her life the voices of the past (laughs) echoed through the time frame like no i know what oedipa is doing and thinking and feeling kind of well Uh, is it well is the only thing i have you read gravity's rainbow because i haven't read that and i've heard that this is the crying of, of lot 49 is the most readable of his works so i'm wondering yes. if he just gets more batshit crazy <laughs> it, 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 it might be i th- <clears throat> honestly i would have done the only reason i didn't pick this book i picked this book because it was the easiest to read mm-hmm. in the sense that it's 150 pages i just right, right, I right, right. did not want to get back into another six month fucking project i hear you but, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would love to read gravity's rainbow i've heard gravity's rainbow is fucking bonkers yeah but uh, but if this is the writing style, like even if it's like a version of this, I still find this way more palatable than the David Foster Wallace where like David Foster reading David Foster Wallace felt like falling down a black well and you're just like reaching out trying to grab onto anything for some frame of fucking reference, which way <laughs> where you are, you know? Yeah. So this is your first introduction to Pinch John, I think. Uh, tell me tell me what you yeah. just thought of like the style overall. Uh, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I, I, so I don't know. I, I don't want to offend anybody by saying like, oh, well, you know, I, I know he has like a dot. I, I, I'm aware that there's a diehard fan base. I'm not sure if I'm in that fan base. I, um, I didn't hate this book. Um, I enjoyed it actually. I just also, it felt like, I felt like an idiot reading it. I felt like, man, there has to be something. Is there something deeper here that I am just too stupid to comprehend? Like, like, and, and I, you know, 
I um I played a game uh actually this year that I actually mentioned to you in in reference to this book called uh what was it called oh Jesus I'm I'm blanking on the name here but there was a a, a game called, oh Kentucky Route Zero Kentucky Route Zero okay. and it's a it's a it's a it's, a, it's like a, a novel game basically where like it's just text after text after text after text and mostly what you're doing in this game is reading and it it feels like it has a similar style to this book in that everything is kind of coded language and metaphors and um at a certain point i learned playing that game and reading this book is to just kind of let go you know like i was just like all right i'm so what i did for this book um, because I was intimidated by it, is I read each chapter separately and then I checked the spark notes for said chapter to be like, am I on the right track? Did I at least understand what the fuck just happened? Um, and uh, for the most part, it, it was pretty, you know, uh, I could comprehend mostly what was happening here, uh, but it just, it feels almost like, um, all right, this guy's having fun with language. I should just let go and appreciate the words. Right. I, I felt like uh, with with Infinite Jest, particularly like the ending, um, I, I realized at first I absolutely hated the ending and I still kind of do. But uh, the the conclusion I came to is once I let go of my expectations of what I was hoping it would be, I could actually appreciate it for just what it was. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're trying to make sense of something, there's no way around it. You are trying to like fold it into a box a little bit and make yeah. it what you want it to be. So, yeah, and I and I did find a lot of the language in this book like enjoyable to read. Um, um, although there was a couple times where I was like, I know I think we're only talking about the first couple chapters on this. Yeah, episode, we're talking. Right? We're doing but, chapter one and two. Okay, but you know, can I just spoiler alert the the whole play scene? I was kind of like, Jesus Christ! Like that's later on in the book. But okay. uh, I have but, I, I have not finished the book yet, just because. Okay, uh, oh, spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> spoil it i don't i don't give a shit it's not like like oh there was a play scene i shouldn't have known there was a play coming (laughs) but uh yeah no i I, so um i i enjoyed the book okay okay good do you think you'll read any more pinchon after this probably not i don't know if i enjoyed it enough to really um to really search out his other works and gravity's rainbow uh, is what like six times the length of this book? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, ah, I might be fucking good, honestly. <laughs> I might, I, I might give, uh, I might give V a try. I've heard good things about V. Um, okay, but yeah, I definitely just need like a palate cleanser, page turner after this. Yeah. But uh, so let's jump into it real quick. I actually have some background information on Thomas Pinchon before we start. Uh, did you look up anything about the man himself? <clears throat> I know he's elusive. Uh, mm-hmm. I. Uh, I, most of the things I've learned, see, this is how uncultured I've been, is that most of my uh, cultural references come from The Simpsons, and I know that they have that uh, <laughs> that joke about him uh, wearing the bag over his head and <laughs> living in an elusive... Uh... Yeah, so supposedly that was really him. He did the voice of it. Um, he actually, in there, uh, they wanted him to have a line calling homer a fat idiot and he actually refused to say it because he's like oh, homer is like my hero and i i won't him. <laughs> that's awesome so i hey, i can respect that i can respect yeah. that pinchon born in 1937 the man is a recluse almost no photos of him exist past his 1950s college years if he's still alive he is 83 years old many have wondered if he was in fact the pseudonym for several separate authors 
His first novel, V, released in 1963, his novels have a recurring theme of racism and imperialism, exploring theological and philosophical tropes. He likes to combine and blur high and low culture, which is what this podcast is. So I like that. So, <laughs> it was theorized at one point that Pinchon was, in fact, the pen name of another reclusive author, J.D. Salinger. Pinchon wrote a letter to the Soho Weekly News that printed that story, replying, not bad, keep trying. Uh, his wife is literary manager, Melanie Jackson, a great-granddaughter of Teddy Roosevelt, who I have a tattoo of. So oh, there wow. you go. Good fit. Um, this will probably piss some people off, but it's in my notes. I can understand why Pinchon prefers not to be photographed because in the few photos, he looks like a slack-jawed doofus. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's just, he's missing some teeth. He's got a big all shucks thing, but I'm, I'm missing some teeth. So whatever. Um, glass houses, man. <laughs> glass houses sink ships and whatnot, however that goes. Uh, Crying of Lot 49 was written in the immediate period after the Beatles' debut on Ed Sullivan at Beatlemania, so the, barano the paranoid seemed to be a direct correlation to them, which is actually really interesting knowing that after uh, reading some... I felt like he was alluding to them a little bit, but it almost seems like, oh, this is like his impression of the Beatles, like, as soon as they debut, like, a lot of really weird, strange lyrics, I don't know, so... Uh, Seamus, let's get into the book. Sure. Um, I have some pre-written questions in here, but aside from that, just interrupt whenever you feel like uh, saying something. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Our protagonist, Mrs. Oedipa Mast, has been named executor, a.k.a. executrix, of the estate of Pierce and Verarity, a California real estate mogul who once lost $2 million in his spare time, but still had assets numerous and tangled enough to make the job of sorting it all out more than honorary she wonders if uh, oh yeah she, she yeah so he has just died she thinks back to memories of him in uh, a place where was the place they were hooking up they had like a love nest somewhere that they were honestly like, that fact eludes me <laughs> okay. it's, it's not important but she has she thinks back to several images one being a bust of Jay Gould that he'd kept over the bed and she had always mm, worried that, about that would fall that he was going to crush him. Yeah. Yes. And I meant to look up who Jay Gould was and I didn't. I'm going to, if my memory serves me right, I think he may have been a 1800s politician. I don't know. <laughs> oh, an American railroad magnet and financial speculator identified as one of the robber barons of the Gilded Ages. So... I got the century right. Uh, if only that counted. So, <laughs> a man named Metzger has signed the letter informing her. He is to be co-executor. Pierce had named her executor over a year ago. She struggled to recall any instance a year ago that would have hinted at this and recalls a late-night phone call from Pierce where he'd done several absurd accent imitations to trick her. So, all right, so this is like a former lover of hers. Yeah. So this, this would be like if one of my exes, suddenly I just got something in the mail, like you're the executor of their estate. And this dude's fucking loaded. Like this dude is loaded. Loaded, yeah. Loaded. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. Oedipus' husband is a man named Mucho Mas. Uh, he is a disc jockey. He comes home and talks about his day. He is a large man and very sensitive about his weight. By the way, Mucho Mas is a fucking hilarious name. <laughs> like, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's sensitive about his weight. He once left a party in a huff when he overheard someone say cream puff 
neglected to notice the man saying it was a Hungarian pastry cook talking shop. Um, so let me ask, I, I have a thing in mind. Have you ever misheard an insult and like made a big deal about it? And then you turned out to be mistaken. I'm almost positive. I have, <laughs> I can't, I can't remember any instance, but like, I feel like if you go through the, the sort of the pantheon of cringe moments that I, uh, that I recount before I go to sleep, like that's gotta be in there. somewhere. <laughs> I remember there was a, have you ever gone to the monster mania horror convention in Cherry Hill? I have not. No, that Ooh. sounds awesome though. Maybe once COVID is over. Oh dude, there, there was a period of time where I went there. They do it twice a year. There was a period where I did not miss one for like six years straight. Uh, right. Me and my girlfriend at the time did fucking Coke with the boondock saints. It was pretty, <laughs> th this is before walking dead when this met stuff. fucking Norman Reedus tried to fuck my girlfriend all night. Didn't happen. In retrospect, I wish he had just fucked her because a week later she cheated on me with her transgender ex-girlfriend fuck and, yeah and i don't want that to sound insulting but it was it was 2010 like it was that was still a, <laughs> that, that was still a what the fuck thing to at the time. Like, yeah yeah at least you could have had some uh you could have had some norman reedus credit you could have exactly. that would have been a i would have counted that as a walking dead credit you hey man you fucked my girlfriend i need an extra role <laughs> <laughs> I could be a zombie. I'll take it. I'll take a crossbow. You'll, you'll appear to both of us. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, at, at one of those uh, monster manias, there's always like weird hangers on all around. And uh, we would have like fucking parties in our room and I'd have my guitar and we'd be doing songs and shit. Some fucking guy like recorded a video of me and put it on Instagram shitting on me like, eh, look at this fucking loser blah, 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 singing. And like the video is like people having a very good time singing along in a hotel room. I saw this guy the next year trying to be fucking buddy buddy with me. And I tried to like, oh yeah, well, what about Instagram 2012? And he rightfully looked at me and was like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm being kind of petty about this. About this thing you don't remember, yeah. But still, fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> so... Mucho had previously been a used car salesman and was driven to despair by the poor souls who'd come in with garbage cars with garbage parts always failing. The desperation and filth of their lives made him sorrowful. Seamus, what was your most soul-crushing job? Oh, man. Uh, well, I don't know if I'm at liberty to discuss. No, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I think my soul, most soul-crushing job was probably... Well, if I'm being honest, a friend of ours uh, works there, so she'll know what I'm talking about. But I worked in uh, title insurance. I still do. I'm still technically employed by these people. Um, I, I think it was I had like an hour and a half commute, which was really the most soul crushing part of it because I liked all the people there. Um, but uh, I guess also I, I used to work at a PYT, which is now a defunct burger joint in Northern Liberties, uh, okay. where they would do specialty burgers. Um, like a donut burger and a quinoa burger. And it was all just like specialty things, but I was 21 and really stupid. So I didn't <laughs> understand like restaurant culture. And I was like trying very hard to do this job that like everybody else was like, fucking relax. Like yeah. you're, you're a bus boy, fucking chill <laughs> the fuck out. You don't have to constantly like, I want to constantly impress. be checked. Yeah, I know. I was like, I don't know. And, and, you know, it was like a thing of like, I didn't, I didn't drink at the time either. So I remember the shift drinks, I would get one beer and be like, well, I feel it. 
<laughs> I was just a fucking moron back then, so. I'll have you know that story just made me add quinoa to my grocery list for this week. Hey, it's been a minute. To their credit, their burgers were fucking banging, and the quinoa burger was fucking amazing. And that was the best part of the job is they would be like, "Hey, we're testing out this new thing. You want to try it?" And I'd be like, "Hell yeah!" But I only worked there for like three months. Oh, well, okay. What are you gonna do? And then I started smoking weed heavy after that to get over my, <laughs> I don't know, my anxiety. No, nah, dude, I worked in restaurants for a while. And then by the time I hit like my mid uh, 20s, when like my anxiety really started becoming an everyday part of my life, I don't know how the fuck I did that shit. Like just being yeah. on your feet that whole time. Anyway, back to the book. Oh, sorry. You were going to say something? I was going to say, actually, I just remembered that I was already smoking weed heavy. I used to eat, uh, I remember one time I ate three edibles and went to that job and we had to make milkshakes. That was the other thing. It was burgers and milkshakes. Oh, and also the great thing, actually, the great story about this is they were going to fire me and I quit a day before they were going to fire me just by random. Like I, I just quit. And uh, then they were like, oh, we were going to fire you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because I made a, I uh, was supposed to make a milkshake and it was just like, I don't know what I was so fucking high and I made it was just a glass of milk and the guy was like how did this happen and I was like I have no I have no idea <laughs> oh, these, are, these are great weed stories <laughs> I don't know how I got here <laughs> I'm just do you need me to bust your table I'll do it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay so Mucho was traumatized by that job as if it was a war he'd witnessed Edipa considers whether war would have been easier on his soul. Uh, she shows Mucho the letter, who is all too aware of Pence as her ex. She and Pierce had split a year before she and Mucho were married. The next day, she gets ready to see their lawyer, Roseman, when the psychiatrist, Dr. Hilarious, calls at 3 a.m., who jokes with her about her lack of trust and her not taking the pills he prescribed. Uh, Hilarious is running an experiment at the community hospital on the effects of LSD, mescaline, and other drugs on housewives. He pesters Ed to join the study, but she rebuffs him. Yeah. Could you imagine, like, being one of the first people they tested LSD on and not knowing what was happening? You know what's so funny is I went into this book blind, and literally uh, right before I had read this, I had read um, uh, this book by Timothy Leary called Confessions of a Hope Fiend, and then I read uh, the Harvard Psychedelic Club, and it was all about them performing uh, tests on people with LSD and psilocybin and all this sort of shit. And so when I like got to this part, I was like, oh, weird. Like the, the, we, uh, what a weird coincidence. But this guy seems like a fucking asshole. Uh, so. he, he's a doctor calling <clears throat> at 3 a.m. to fucking start with. I mean, yeah. Not to mention, I'm waiting for, you, you tell me, does the name Dr. Hilarious pay off or was that just like, he has a really interesting arc in this story? He is okay. actually, he has like a really interesting moment towards the end of the book. Um, but, uh, I don't know if the name pays off necessarily, but I, I, I also wonder if, uh, this was sort of like a parody of, uh, I mean, cause he's parodying the Beatles and, you know, the, the Harvard psychedelic club was probably around the same time. I mean, and Timothy Leary, arguably kind of a huge cunt. So, like, <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm not sure I, if this is a parody I, on that I, guy. I have but. definitely noticed after a lot of research, the initial stages of enlightenment come a lot off like being just a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, pain in the ass. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like, do you ever have, oh God, I had, uh, I had my buddy Joey on a few weeks ago and Joey came to two like high school things late in life. 
Uh, in his mid twenties, he discovered both atheism and marijuana. So I got oh, to wa- sick. So, so, so I got to watch my buddy. I got to watch my buddy at twenty five go through the sixteen year old kind of like it's, they've been fucking lying to us this whole time. Yeah, that's they a shame. Knew and they didn't tell us. And like it was so it was really funny watching him come around to it late, but it was pretty annoying at first. I had the opposite where I was, uh, my parents were, uh, raised Catholic. So they were staunchly against the church. And so I was like super atheist in sixth grade. And then like cut to like me at like 25 being like, if hell exists, I should probably prepare. That's pretty scary. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just the notion of preparing for hell. Like I need to go take a a jujitsu class. Well, the thing I, I'm into, like more Eastern, like Eastern religions, sort of like uh, fucking calm me down, and they're like, "Hey, no worries, man. It's all just fucking karma, and it's it's your actions. You're in control. You can figure this out." And then I started reading some of the Bible, and it was like, "Nah, the devil's a real thing," and I'm like, "Fuck!" <laughs> That's... Oh God, there's a there's a friend of ours. So my whole thing, I don't have any. My fear is that there's nothing. I have no fear of like the devil or hell. But uh, a certain, cl- fuck it, it's Jeff Roser. A certain close friend of ours <laughs> who was raised Pentecostal still has a very real fear of hell. And uh, yeah, I could not imagine that. I could not imagine like an actual hell at this point. The thing that I try to keep in mind is that most of my suffering comes from my mind. So even the fear of hell is just my mind fucking with me because I don't really have any actual knowledge of what happens afterwards so the thing that i should focus on is that like why am i worried about hell while i'm creating one for myself constantly you know what i mean yeah so that's one of the things that helps me get through it is just realizing like well i have a lot of anxiety about hell but everything i have anxiety about i logically know and it always pans out that it was nothing to fear in the first place yeah hopefully death if death is something that happens to everybody, how can it be a bad thing? How can it be a bad thing? It just makes room for more life, man. Exactly. That's the last <clears> thought <throat> you have as the black consumes you. <laughs> yeah, I just want the, I just, honestly, I have a very, sorry for getting off topic here, but I have a very, That's what we do here. <laughs> I have a very low or a barrier or, or low expectations for what I want my death to be. And I just don't want it to be like my grandmother's, uh, yeah, my grandmother. Uh, Wild her boars. La- her her last words were uh, "help me." So oh, no. I just want to. I just want to not have that. <laughs> so, well, we mentioned we mentioned freaks and geeks, and I remember listening to the commentary on that for the first episode, and how like the executives were like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" Because like in the very first episode, our protagonist uh, Lindsay tells a story to her brother about their grandmother dying and how she was the only one in the room and how grandma's last words, like, you know, do you, do you see a light or any loved ones? Like, no, I just see nothing. I see blackness. And like, this is the pilot episode. Oh, Jesus of, Christ. Of what is typically, you know, teen shows were typically like feel good. And like, you know, the fact yeah. <laughs> it's that episode one, it's like, it's 1979 and nothing happens when you die. Run in with the devil. <laughs> it's such a good show i want to go back and watch that now um so oedipa goes to wrote are you getting the how are you picturing oedipa because oedipa seems to like everybody's trying to fuck oedipa but her husband it feels like i you know i wasn't really i was kind of picturing her as like middle of the road attractiveness if that makes any sense uh like you know i maybe she is super super duper hot uh 
She's probably pretty hot now that I think about it. I mean, yeah. she was dating a fucking millionaire, and and uh, now, she might have yeah. she might have a little <laughs> manic pixie dream girl in her because the thing she does with the clothes mm. and the strip poker that's yeah. like a, that's like a Natalie Portman Zoe Deschanel kind of thing. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is cute, I guess, and then uh, and then you know, and she fucks that guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're, I was like, forgets her marriage vows. Pretty, I cool. know. Because uh, you know what the thing is that I feel like they kind of set up Mucho as like this likable character. I mean, he's like, uh, I mean, they don't really go too much into his character in these first couple. They don't really go into him that much at all, to be honest with you, throughout mm-hmm. the whole book. But- I, 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 I do like at the radio station, uh, the, uh, the his his uh, producer has told him that he needs to stop. Be- he has his his voice is too sexy, so he needs to start <laughs> coming off more brotherly or fatherly because they're sick of getting these teen girls calling in all dreamily. Yeah, and meanwhile, he's just like this fat slob. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know what? There, there might be correlation right there between him and uh, Metzger, who we meet, because if you recall, she thinks Metzger is like super duper hot, but when she sees him naked, he's got a little bit of a pot belly on him. Meanwhile, yeah. you have all these teen girls calling into Mucho Mas thinking he's like some sexy dude, and he's just like a schlubby former car dealer. Yeah, and you know, but... <sighs> I don't know something about the way that he describes or she describes his experience with the lot and also the uh the uh the fact that he I don't know I, I like Mucho I think Mitch is a piece of shit yeah, <laughs> but uh but but uh I don't know I didn't mean to call him a fat slob maybe he maybe he's got he seems like he has more to offer than Mitch <laughs> true true all right. Um, so yeah, she goes to Roseman's, catch it, catches him putting away his Perry Mason spec script he's been working on ever since he discovered the show. I'm hoping some more of that is explained because it's just kind of <laughs> weird. Roseman gives her the details on what she'll have to do as executor, like open the books, pay off debts, etc. Um, she visualizes, hallucinates herself as Rapunzel, and Pierce as the one who had convinced her to let down her hair. Yet she never escaped the tower somehow. Quote, if the tower is everywhere and the night of deliverance, no proof against its magic, what else? Uh, I'm assuming meaning her prince came and yet she was no more free. Um, this reminds me of a specific ex. I, you can think for a second if you have any exes who had terrible romantic expectations. But this specifically reminds me of one in my early 20s. This girl who was, I will never let my daughter watch Disney if I can help it. <laughs> Because I have dated a few, this one being only the peak of girls who had all their romantic expectations ruined by Disney. Like, you're supposed to become this girl, like, you know, you came and you swept me off my feet. We met in a really cutesy kind of way, and I introduced her to a whole bunch of people, and blah, 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 blah. And then we had, like, our first tiny little argument, and the relationship was never the same. Because it was like, you're my you're like my prince and you're like saving me and therefore you shouldn't argue that gas money's adding up or whatever some bullshit and this went on to bear itself out in the fact that after we broke up she uh have you ever known a girl that's a uniform fucker do you know what i mean by uniform fucker i have no idea what that means i mean after me a uniform fucker is after me a fireman a policeman Uh. an army man Anybody, anybody who has a badge that says they did six weeks of training while getting dr- <laughs> while getting drunk with sixteen-year-old local sixteen-year-old volunteers, just got her, just got her all gushy. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I've had that experience. To be honest with you, I've only you know I, I've uh, 
I've only had two two serious relationships. One was two and a half years, and then this current one I'm in is is almost five. So uh, the time wow. in between, I, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't dated dated enough people to be like, hey, <laughs> a uniform fucker. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've like, you know, I had experiences, man, but uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't in a relationship. We weren't tied down, yeah, man. Yeah, we didn't have to put a name to it. <laughs> I'm Timothy Leary. Drink this glass. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> yeah, right. Take the ride. Okay. Uh, chapter two. Her tower was Kinneret. The the place they are now is near L is near LA. She's traveling to the law offices in San Narciso. The place Pierce has started his land speculating a decade ago. She pictures it as glowing, but the place she the place where he built an empire upon, but it was indistinguishable at a glance. Uh, she notes the numbers, the address numbers run into the 70 and 80 thousands, which is just a small detail, but I've noticed before, uh, I noticed watching like old mystery science theater episodes that movie shot in LA, of course, you know, for cheap, if they end up in a mystery science theater, the house numbers would look like pie, just like ridiculously long house numbers. Like guys, I understand we need to escape the hobgoblins, but like 100, <laughs> 134,376 Presidio street. That doesn't seem right right <laughs> that's funny uh san narciso's primary employer is yo-yo dine an aerospace industry company that pierce had been an initial investor in called himself a founding father she pulls into a motel lot echo quartz that features a gigantic sheet metal nymph covered with actual cloth that blows in the breeze revealing long thick thighs and vermilion tipped breasts so I actually had a flashback to, did you ever have anything as like a young boy, just like naked art that titillated you a little bit too much? Uh, naked art that titillated me. I don't know. Cause you know what? I feel like, uh, I always found a lot of the, um, I think, I think my dad used to take me to the art museum all the time. And I think that like Victorian, uh, era or, or, you know, where they have the, the shapely women. Mm -hmm. Um, I always found them to be disgusting. <laughs> and I think much, that that too much junk in the trunk. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it, I think it maybe, I, I don't know something about that. I think initially, uh, Something about that combined in my mind to create sort of a distaste for white women for a few a number of years. <laughs> oh wow! The, the pale, the pale skin, and the just the fucking—I don't know. They were all—they were all shaped like they, you know, I don't know. They were all weird looking, doughy. Yeah, it's. I'm gonna get heat for that. <laughs> well, I would go back to some of the art stuff. Like you see a lot of the art of. Uh... Michelangelo and like you notice the women are like fucking jacked but with titties and then you find out <laughs> yeah. that, like, it, it, I just find it hilarious that Michelangelo is like one of the world's greatest model uh, artists and yet like apparently he would have male models and he just didn't think to take out the fucking deltoids like <laughs> the fuck bro uh, no, I, 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 I was reminded of a very specific thing of this. Um, my family would go to Wildwood every year, Wildwood, New Jersey, for vacation. And as soon as you'd go over the bridge into Wildwood, there was a restaurant that had, like, a crude drawing of a mermaid with just, like, her titties out, like, left her, left her half shells home. And it was always, like, we're officially in Wildwood. And also, like, oh, a little nine-year-old boner. Because, like, you know. <laughs> Animated mermaid tits, dude. I tried. I tried writing a joke about it. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but uh, I, I would say you and I are actually kind of classy. Cl I'm not trying to say classy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I would say for two guys involved in the arts, which comedy is an art, even if that's a dumb way to put it, but like two urban guys, I think you and I are pretty like old school in almost like our sexuality a little bit in that like mm. we're just, we, we know a lot of guys that are on different places of the sexual spectrum and that's fine. I'm just, I know I'm a pretty standard standard issue dime a dozen heterosexual white guy yeah oh yeah uh i i tried writing a bit on how like sexuality isn't even so much sex it's more like math and shapes because like the fact that like you can look at an ass and you could feel nothing about an ass like that's a man's ass i can just tell but then like if like the circumference ratio is slightly changed i got i like i got to stick my dick in that right there whatever that, that is, is so funny dude i feel i had a similar thing that i tried to do for a while about how like when i would get super high and like uh sex would just become abstract and i'm like oh i'm just coming to fucking circles and fucking <laughs> i'm just like oh hell yeah <laughs> it's a shapes you're right it is it's like math it's fucking... like, like this one's a little i'm not attracted to use the closer <clears throat> the u becomes to a v the harder <laughs> i get i'm just going you know same thing with women obviously because you know the attractive thing for men consider the attractive thing for men is the you know v shape like like tony atlas always said wide at the shoulder narrow at the hip uh, <laughs> Which I mean, I'm I'm wide at the shoulder, also wide at the hip, but that's got to count for something. Dude, the other thing is getting getting too high and watching wrestling and being like, "Am I gay?" Be <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, is this this Brock Lesnar? <laughs> how many times I have looked at Dolph Ziggler and been? Like, <laughs> Would he like a boy like me? <laughs> I'd love that, dude. I'd love the fuck Dolph Ziggler, man. <laughs> fucking, j- just fucking Dolph Ziggler. He would sell, dude. He would, he yeah, would fucking, fucking what? Off <laughs> Go look up Dolph Ziggler. There's a. Go look up Amy Schumer, Dolph Ziggler, and she'll give you details of his sex uh, escapades. Yeah, right. Anyway, we meet Miles, the 16 year old beetle haired clerk at the motel who sings a song to himself as he grabs her bags. He explains after singing that it's a song from the group that he's a part of, the Paranoids. He sings it in an English accent, despite being American. Oedipus says it's lovely and offers to show it to her DJ husband. Miles gives her a stink eye and rushes her, accusing her of payola. Oedipus grabs a TV antenna, preparing to whap him with it. She says, why, you are a paranoid. He says he has a smooth young body, and he thought older chicks dug that. Fucking Miles coming on strong. <laughs> yeah, those the paranoids are fun, man. Yeah. They're, they're 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 probably my favorite part of the book, to be honest with you. All the scenes with them are okay. like fucking weird. So, this is a musical show, and we have the lyrics labeled Miles' song. Uh, there is no instruction on key or melody, but I have taken it upon myself. Um, so. There's three songs in the chapter. I'm going to write music for all of them, but I decided for this first one, I'm just going to grab a guitar and wing it. So give me two seconds. Hold sure. On. Okay. Whoa, boy. This is a, hold on. This is going to have to be edited out. <laughs> okay. Unless, do you have the lyrics, Seamus? Of, uh, too of fat, Miles songs? Too Fat to Frog? Too Fat to Frog. Yeah, I have them. Yeah. Would you like to try singing them? And I'll just put together some music. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I want to rely on you. Okay. All right. Here's what we're going to try. Too fat to frog. That's what you tell me all the time. When you're really trying to get me down. But I'm hip. 
close your big fat lip, yeah, baby. I'm maybe too fat to frog, but at least I ain't too thin to swim, too fat to frog. Okay, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad for the first one. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of when I read this, it reminded me of that uh, the song uh, Too Drunk to Fuck. <laughs> that's a good song. Yeah. Okay, you know what's funny? This is the first time I'm using Zoom on this brand new computer, and Zoom uh, actually picked up the music and s- added an option set up professional audio in audio settings. So it's like it picked up the guitar and it, it, it could tell, like, this sounds like shit. Are you sure you don't want to? <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. Did you say is Metzger's first name Mitch? Is that what you said? I believe so. I don't think I caught that, but okay. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm totally. Whatever. His his name is Mitch Metzger until further notice. Um, Metzger... Maybe it's Miles. No, that Miles, no, Miles is, is paranoid. Like, yeah. That's okay. We can go with this for now. So... I don't know where I got that. <laughs> Uh, later at the hotel, Metzger shows up, and to Oedipus' shock, he is incredibly handsome. As in, someone's playing a joke, this is a hired actor, handsome. He has enormous eyes with extravagant lashes. She invites him in. He, she, he, uh, she's decked in sweatpants, not expecting a handsome man, but knows she looks good regardless. That's what makes me think she's pretty cute. The fact that yeah. she's like caught like kind of sloppy, probably a side ponytail, but she's still like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. I still look good. Um, yeah, you're probably right. She invites him in and offers him a drink, though she only has one glass. He says he'll drink out of the bottle. Seamus, I have a question here. Have you sure. ever had an instance where you thought a girl showing interest in you made was suspicious? Um, no. <laughs> I have no I, further questions. Here's uh, how you get hot chicks, everybody. You just got to be confident. I've never thought of anybody being out of my league. Uh, just kind of go for it. And uh, I think uh, history has been on my side. There you go. Dude, as somebody who has consistently punched above his weight class, I agree. I wouldn't even give it to confidence. I would just give it to not. You don't have to be confident. Don't be unconfident. You You hear that, ladies who don't speak to me anymore? I don't think any of you were ugly. (laughs) (laughs) All, All beauties and princesses as far as I'm concerned. Um, this is a very, I'm not going to say this is a very sexist episode. This is a very male episode. (laughs) Well, you brought me on, baby. That's right. I knew I was getting, I was bringing on Seamus. I was getting that dangle with him. Um, All right. So, uh, I specifically thought of this. So, um, every night I I mentioned the girl, uh, Caitlin from before the girl, Caitlin, I actually took a big swing. I typically wouldn't have, I had asked the girl for a cigarette outside of a mall and I talked to her for a few seconds and then she went in and then I was like, fuck, I really missed an opportunity there. So I went over to the car she had walked from and I left a note and like, that's how we met, which was actually nice. like a bigger, a bigger swing. But that was pretty yeah. cute. That uh, was pretty cute. So this happened another time involving a mall where I was going to buy clothes at Sears and I was kind of flirting with the girl at the counter. And then I left like, oh, I didn't, I should go get her number. What the fuck? And I, I want to point out like, the I'm mentioning these because they were out of the ordinary. These were times where I was like, let me be a confident motherfucker for a change. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I gave that girl my number and she texted me later and we're just chatting. She's like, send me a picture of you. So I did. And I said, yeah, send me a picture back, dude. She sends me a link to a Tumblr 
where it's all photos of her being tied up and like fucking with a dildo in her ass and like hard hardcore <laughs> shit jesus and she tried to get me to come over her house like the next day and i was so te- like i i'm not this handsome like i'm, I'm going to be killed. that's that's a bold move on her part yeah so here's never, my tumblr oh just to have a tumblr like that is pretty bold yeah yeah uh so i never hooked up with her and then like three years later i was uh outside smoking at barcade in philly and I start talking with a girl. I'm like, you look kind of familiar. Like, oh, you're the Tumblr chick. And immediately, as soon as I said that, she's like, I got to go find my friends. Like, oh, uh, this was. That was a phase. Been, yeah, that was a phase. That was a phase of uh, indulging BDSM on a fucking. T- in, pu- in a public space, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. So anyway. Well, Tumblr- we all make mistakes. What are you going to do? Exactly. Tumblr's a bunch of deviants, by the way. Let's just put that out there. What? Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, it turns out there was some truth. Wait, I missed something. Oh, uh, where she was talking about him, Metzger being an actor. Turns out there's some truth to that, as he had been a movie, ch- a child movie star known as Baby Igor. Yeah. What a name. Baby Igor. Yeah. This I I honestly like this whole this whole reveal that he was a child actor and that and they have his dumb movie on the TV the whole time. That, that, that does feel pretty weird, even though it's hinted at. Like they turn on the TV and uh, go figures. There's a Baby Igor movie right there. Yeah. Uh, enough so that she wonders if like he didn't bribe somebody at the local broadcast station to put that movie on. <laughs> um, uh, another toxic masculine line here that just so happens to be kind of true. Uh, Metzger says he's lucky his mother didn't turn him into you know what, like most stage mothers. I think that's that's a gay. Oh, is that what that means? I think not, that's what he was implying. Not just like selling them off to the highest bidder <laughs> to get parts. I mean, one way. I mean, uh, Edipa turns on the TV. Oh yeah, the movie on TV is called Cashiered. It's about a father and son. I spelled son, S-U-N, because I'm an idiot <laughs> who's not smart enough to read this book, uh, who sneak into a submarine every weekend and attack the Turks in World War One. And Baby Igor's got a song, too, but I will write that one and record it later. Um, the current day Metzger sings harmony with his Baby Igor self. Oedipa considers the massive coincidence. Yeah, wonders whether a broadcaster got bribed, etc. The, cur- the commercials, as Metzger informs us, are all businesses or properties owned by Enveraritary. That's a fuck of a last name, Pierce has there. Oh, yeah. Um, they get very drunk on tequila as they watch the younger Metzger and his fictional father and fictional St. Bernard battle the fictional Turks on their fictional ship, the Justine, named after baby Igor's dead mother. This movie sounds fucking wild. Yeah, I yeah, it's like a weird thing to just have on in the background too, because it's almost like a, it's like a weird. Uh, I don't even know how to. It's almost like Lassie, where there's this kid and this dog, but they're also like murdering people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, we'll we'll get. There's a weird part of this. Uh, Oedipa bets on the movie's end. She bets that the family won't make it. She asks a question at the film that may give away the ending. Metzger says he'll answer if she'll remove an article of clothing for every answer. She agrees, but again, Zoe Deschanel, adorkable. She agrees, but not before going to the bathroom and putting on every piece of clothing that she bought with her, including multiple shirts, skirts, pants, socks, etc. Yeah. Uh, Hilarious. Uh, and not this kind of... This chapter made me not like this character. Uh, the rest of the book, uh, she kind of 
has some interesting I don't know. I, I left this book feeling like very kind like kind of blank almost of like, I don't really have any strong feelings about anybody in this book, but like, for instance, like she's got this whole Rapunzel thing where she's like kind of complaining about being lost. And then she's like doing this fun flirty thing. Like she goes from that to being like, Oh, well I'll just do this fun flirty thing where I pretend I'm not going to fuck this guy. So I feel okay about fucking him later. And it's just like, all right, yeah. you know, all right. Well, I mean, again, as heterosexual men, I think we all know the well-worn trope of like, you know, you can come back to my house, but we're not having sex. And what that means is, <laughs> oh, I'm getting, I'm having sex in 15 minutes. Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be the guy, which, you know, like, well, that speaks to the along. fact that women do not feel comfortable expressing their true desires, so they need to play coy. And uh, it's their fathers that drove them to this. And uh, yeah, okay, there's my caveat. I put that shit out there. Yeah, so that's anyway, it. And then it's, they're sucking dick just 20 minutes later. <laughs> it, does say, it does sound really bad when you're like, well, you know that unwritten thing where women push you away just so they can feel better about, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... It, it's, but it I, also I, is a thing sometimes. <laughs> right. No, we 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 can agree it's a thing. I I, I will definitely say at least on that regard that it's like yeah, it, it must kind of suck that they do kind of have to bend over backwards to express their sexuality. That doesn't sound fun. As as like you know teen boys who have been like you know we're we're like fucking pulling out our ball sacks at thirteen. <laughs> yeah, satin gum. So <laughs> we're a little more comfortable with our piggishness you know yeah um yeah it, it does feel a little though that like it's like she meets this guy and they totally until the end of the chapter they totally forget like oh yeah we're supposed to be working on a will you know yeah it's a weird thing where she just meets this guy and like immediately starts getting drunk with him and i was like that's a little strange but i don't know what are you gonna do she's also seems like one of these people that's like miserable in her relationship and i felt really bad for mucho in this i've always had a thing about infidelity kind of being a <laughs> kind of being a, a fucking shithead thing to do but uh yeah I'm like what this guy do what is what is this fucking what does this fucking baby igor have that my my boy mucho mass doesn't have <laughs> <laughs> yeah man he's got a sick dj job he could you know yeah yeah <laughs> You know, I have I have that same complete aversion to infidelity, and that is why, like my girlfriends and my fiance in particular, definitely the type to stab me before cheating on me, and I'm but, fine with that. Actually, now, okay, so actually, I'm going to retract something what I said because I'm starting. I'm getting a hint of a, a memory here. It, like I said, this ha this is this is two books behind me, but don't they imply? Maybe it's not in the first two chapters, but don't they imply that Mucho is like into younger women? They mentioned, uh, they mentioned the teen girls calling in, but it could be that that could I don't, be an early okay. hint. I just don't want to sound like an idiot where I'm like defending this <laughs> child molester. <laughs> mucho, mucho más likes the niñas. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, while she does the thing she's putting on all the clothes, a hairspray bottle falls and breaks on the floor, careening around like a miniature jetpack. Th this gets like a little weird and hazy here because like she like falls on the floor and there's a jetpack hairspray can flying around and Metzger comes in and she like bites his arm and then the paranoids are like looking through the window at them like hey, it looks pretty kinky even though they're in yeah it, get it gets very like surreal i'm assuming it's like partially because they're wasted True. Uh, okay but uh but it does turn into kind of like a looney tune sort of a thing mm -hmm. like where this this 
hairspray bottle is comically flying around the room and it's like yeah all right mm-hmm. yeah. uh the, the paranoids have another song uh bah, bah, bah. oh yeah okay she uh Oedipa watches the paranoids play at a pool outside the window uh metzger comes up behind her intending to cup her breasts but the multiple layers of clothing take the fun out of it she continually asks questions about the film and removes articles of clothing and i like the line uh removes articles of clothing that miraculously bring her no closer to nudity I did like that line. It was a great little, yeah. Uh, She goes to the bathroom to put on more clothes, comes out and finds Metzger only in his boxers, passed out with a raging heart on and a pot belly, which his suit had hidden earlier. So again, she could just let it go now. Like, ah, he passed out. This ain't happening. No, she kisses him to wake him up and he tries to undress her. Uh, this takes a long time, and she's so drunk, she passes out once or tw- Guys, this book came out in the 50s or 60s. So, uh, <laughs> in, in the 60s. Uh, she passes out once or twice during this ordeal of removing a dozen layers of clothes and wakes up mid-coitus to him fucking her. Uh, the yeah. actual quote is, she had come in on a sexual crescendo in progress. As the paranoids play outside, Metzger and Oedipa orgasm simultaneously with a fuse blowing and all the power on the premises going out. That's a, that's a heck of an orgasm. I'll give <laughs> um, despite the fuses going out on the TV that's still playing, the film ends with the dog, then baby Igor, and then the father drowning on the ship. Oh, wait, actually, only the first and third drown. Baby Igor gets an incredibly graphic, grisly death of being electrocuted <laughs> in a way that sounds pretty brutal for an eight-year-old's on-screen death. Yeah. Ra- like, like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> I, I just imagine, like, an alternate ending Home Alone where Macaulay Culkin just, like, sticks a fork in a socket and just, like, gets fucking killed yeah yeah and then fucking marv just comes and kicks him in the dick and that's the end of the movie um oh uh edipa has won the bet that they died uh metzger responds you have won me edipa asks him what pierce had told him about her and metzger replies that you wouldn't be easy at at this point she bursts into tears he asks her to return to bed which after some hesitance she does so that's the chapter, but am I reading that right? In that, is Metzger implying, like, Pierce told me you wouldn't have been so easy to fuck after you were very easy to fuck? Like, Pierce set this up. Potentially, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I, I kind of just glossed over that detail entirely. I was sort of fixated on the fact that she just, like, fucked this guy. Uh, seemingly out of nowhere. Like, it's the second chapter, and she's like, I don't know. It sets up, like, all right. I don't know, man. This is this it, is like it, the, the first time since they meet that they're that like they even mention Pierce, even though that's the whole reason they're meeting. Up. Yeah, it, it's it does set up some stuff that happens uh, later. Uh, it definitely sets up Metzger's character as being sort of an insensitive asshole who, like, once he got what he wanted, stops giving a shit about any of the things she cares about. Huh. <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait a sec. A, a, a guy who, upon meeting somebody, does everything he can to charm and seduce them. <laughs> And then as soon as he's done, turns them off entirely. That sounds like somebody we know. (laughs) How many of them? (laughs) Uh, I can can think one in particular, but. (laughs) Oh, really? Um, uh, You'll have uh, to uh, enlighten uh, me off of air. Yeah, tell me. Hold on. I'm going to text you because I want want your reaction, but I can't (laughs) can't say the name. All right. Um, 
again like this is just somebody who is known in the comedy scene of uh fucking absolute like doing everything to fuck somebody like has a pathological need to fuck everybody if it's the person i think you're talking about i think i once said to them I, they told me a story about fucking like a bunch of people and how he went to uh, Oh no, wrong person. Never mind. I won't continue this story. But that is funny. <laughs> you gotta text me back who you're thinking of. Uh okay. Hold on. We're you can edit edit this all out. <laughs> we're gonna be catty little bitches and talk about who who's slip slopping with you know who in the comedy scene. You don't know any of these people. But uh yeah, I'm I'm liking the book so far. Like I said, unlike Infinite Jest, I have a decent idea where it's going and who everyone is. Oh yeah, he fucks everybody. We know that. <laughs> Good on him. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's I, I I feel like the writing style when it gets like kind of crazy, it's like flourishes. It's not all of it, which still makes it very readable to me and uh, understandable. I honestly, I I think I need to reevaluate how I'm going to do these episodes because like looking at this now i almost feel like i should have just done two episodes and you and i could have just done like the first half of the book because it feels mm. like i'm we're barely there as far as like what the first act is going to be i i i don't know i don't know where the story goes so i can't tell what the story beats are going to be well but, you know if you if you need me to come back i would love to this is a lot of fun i think after this episode <clears> i need <throat> to have a woman on one of these episodes <laughs> yeah yeah and, uh, <laughs> i mean next week we're having on maddie markwood who is uh the guy who runs Pinch On on Reddit. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that'll level it out and there won't be quite as much of pussy. Huh? Uh, and Perry just stuck her head in to say, yes, you need a woman. <laughs> I mean, you probably do. Because, you know, I mean, the book is written by a man, but it's uh, supposed to be a female protagonist. But we're just like, hey, yeah. yeah this reminds me of some dude shit I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? I <clears throat> to my cousin like six months ago he told me like i'm really trying to read a lot of books written by people outside of my perspective so like mm. trying to read more black authors more female authors uh people on different levels of the gender spectrum and i said yeah you know what i should do that too and then i immediately found that brendan behan book like what written by an ira fat alcoholic <laughs> sign me up yeah <laughs> oh god so that one well okay so that's uh the first part of crying of lot 49 Seamus what did you what did you think of the book as a whole I think you already gave this give it to me again I I mean I enjoyed it I didn't hate it uh I wouldn't necessarily it didn't necessarily make me want to search out the rest of his work but um it's funny it's like it, it goes so many different places this book does mm -hmm. uh, and there's there's like little scenes that when I like when I was trying to reacquaint myself with it and like looking up, I was like, oh yeah, I actually really did enjoy that. I actually really did enjoy this. I really did enjoy this. Um, so I think my initial reaction was kind of like, ah, eh, that was kind of a pain in the ass to get through. But mm -hmm. the more I think about it, the more I was like, oh, there's a lot of really cool scenes in this book that I actually really did like. There, there's some stuff that I feel like is kind of a slog. Uh, for instance, I mentioned the whole uh, play. Uh, mm -hmm. the whole play, I know it's like intricate, it's like a intricate and, and it's, it's a very important part of the, uh, story, but that did literally nothing for me. I like the little moments with the paranoids and I like, you know, I even enjoyed the scene where she's putting on all the clothes and trying not to fuck this guy and they're mm -hmm. watching the weird, you know, movie. Um, I would say like, overall, I enjoyed it. 
that's it. <laughs> yeah, like j- just from from what I've heard about other people who say like this is Pinchon's most readable. Uh, I'll probably give like V a try after this, and I, I I have a feeling that if somebody were to read another one of his books and actually recommend it to you, you would probably dip in and give it a try. If they probably. like like oh that one was okay, this one's the really good one. Yeah, yeah. But Gravity's Rainbow just sounds so much like. It sounds like somebody is trying to get me to do like a literary ninja warrior in that like it's it's all about finishing it like enjoyment enjoyment is for the week this is about the challenge. Well, you know you know what else turned me off to is that uh, I think uh, uh, I saw an interview actually when I was doing all my Timothy Leary research uh, mm-hmm. where he called Thomas Pynchon the greatest writer alive. Uh, at that time he was like this he's the most brilliant writer you got to have him on this he was like on some interview show and he was like you got to have thomas pinchon on he's the he's the greatest ever blah 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 and that almost turned me off too because i was like if timothy leary says this is the greatest shit ever <laughs> it means it's fucking batshit crazy yeah. <laughs> oh god all right well seamus thank you very much for doing this uh thank you again, for having me tell us where to find you on social media uh Follow me on Instagram, uh, Shambles Murph. Uh, I, you know, I haven't been doing anything very interesting lately. You can, you can, if you delve through, you can tell that I was once a comedian. Um, uh, and uh, my Twitter is uh, at uh, a underscore cool underscore million. You can see me uh, ask people for money. My favorite one was uh, what was that guy? Who's the guy that does the Daily Show? Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. I tweeted at him and I said, "Hey, Trevor Noah, uh, I'm asking celebrities for money. Do you know any?" Uh, <laughs> so that's that that's a good one yeah look him up. i don't know if you have any stuff on youtube but i'm gonna promote it anyway go go look up his stand-up seamus has been consistently one of my favorite uh guys ever since i met him so thanks man appreciate that yeah so um that's it for this episode i'll end it the way i end every episode i'll well i'll be back next week with uh maddie markwood from uh who runs the pinch on subreddit so i'm going to stop recording but you and i can definitely talk for a little bit longer all right cool